Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, and that is Gavin, coming to you still live on Spotify, as it turns out. <laughs> I, uh, I know we uh, we considered a protest, but nobody was willing to offer us $100 million for any program. If anybody wants to offer us, like, yes. 10 bucks and a sandwich, you know, like, you know, I think we'll go exclusive to whatever platform you want. Yeah, absolutely. And so I actually, funnily enough, uh, I don't remember why, but I was looking into just like in the potential future, how to go about monetizing a podcast. If that was a route Mike and I wanted to take, we haven't even really talked about that amongst ourselves, really. Um, it hasn't really uh, been something that we need. No, to it hasn't really about, been an but... issue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I saw it like uh, for, I think like an opening ad, it was like, so most ad companies do things in. It's called CPM, which is like basically how much mm-hmm. money they give you per 1,000 interactions, more right. or less. Um, and the highest one that I could possibly find was $25 uh, dollars per 1,000 downloads. And I was like, oh, cool. So that would work out to roughly a dollar an episode based on like our current listenership. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, hey, look, I could take a dollar, but at some point, if that's all I'm making, you know. I'll, right. I'll maintain the integrity of the uh, of the podcast. Yeah, for Remember, sure. I'm not, just to be clear, I don't think Gavin or I are against selling out. Like, I'm happy to sell out. It depends what it is. I right, I want to make sure that I'm I'm selling out for the right purposes. And uh, and until then, this little quarter of the internet is going to stay completely ad free. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> so, getting into a little more of the meat of the episode, Mike actually hit me with uh, a bit of an update, or that at least that he has an update. He hasn't told me what it is yet to one of his. Uh, Mike takes the wheel episode. So, Mike, what do you got? So, journeying back to our original Mike takes the wheel episode. Do you remember um, okay. what we discussed? Was that the Governor Morris? Yeah, it was episode? Governor Morris. Uh, that was uh, my favorite founding father. Um, and I'm currently reading a book on Governor Morris. Oh, I'm cool. A, yeah, I'm a notoriously slow and notoriously weak reader, but I need to provide a little bit of an update. Okay. Um, and this is this hurts me a little bit. Because we talked about in that episode how Governor Morris um, spoke against slavery at the Constitutional Convention, mm-hmm. um, and he was, you know, he was firmly opposed to it. Uh, you know, I, I I don't remember if I dropped the word abolitionist on him, but he was it was something I thought of him as some they're just radically anti-slavery, right? Yeah, um, for a founding which was good. And as I was uh, reading this biography of Governor Morris, um, in the um in the early eighteen hundreds when France had bought. Uh, Louisiana from Spain, kind of the Louisiana territory. Mm-hmm. And Governor Morris got very worried that, you know, the French being there, and I forget the exact um, circumstances, were going to yeah, provoke all the slaves and have them rise up. And we can't have slave rising up. They need to be kept down, kept in a position of subjugation. And so... Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I just need to I need to provide a clarification to everybody that Governor Morris, uh, not quite as cool as I thought. And uh, I, I'm doing some reevaluation of who my favorite founding father is. So... Yeah, I Just, mean, uh, we t- and we talked about this um, a couple episodes ago, where it's like maybe even last episode, to be honest. Uh, basically, that you know, it, it's okay to think certain people or or certain things that certain people have done are cool and and good. You just have to take the good with the bad, you know. Right, exactly. And part of what was so fun about Governor Morris to me was, you know, he seemed to have like this radical, mm-hmm. you know, this radical you know, modern position. It's, you know, banal by today's standards that slavery is bad. But like at the time, he wasn't just, you know, like, eh, I don't like slavery, but we'll, you know, make do. He was, you know, firmly like, you know, this is a bad idea. And yeah, just reading that, it was like, oh man, like, 
we had to we had to go down that path. So I just wanted to provide that uh, that update and clarification on, well, uh, on well, episode even, nineteen that I have here. Yeah. Well, it's even still like you know at least I was taught in uh, you know my history classes in high school that like you know Lincoln freed the slaves, which like he did, obviously. Uh, well well do we need to have an episode on that i mean maybe but uh i was i did not learn until well after i'd gotten out of high school that like yes he you know signed the emancipation proclamation and such but he by no means thought that black people were his equal by by no means the emancipation proclamation is quite possibly the most overhyped document in american history for uh what it did compared to what it was said to have done. Right, yeah. Uh, but we will, uh, maybe... That's maybe a topic that be, for another day, yeah. That's a topic for another day, but um, we will we will leave that alone now. But I just wanted to provide uh, that update for everybody, that as uh, as we learn new things, we will uh, we will update our prior episodes. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so with that, apparently, uh, so in addition to me learning something, there was some, uh, apparently there was some big news in the paleontology world. So Gavin, why don't you hit us with that? Yeah, and sadly, it's not good news. Um, Man, so just, there is... We're real downers today. yeah. That's why I was really hoping your thing would be positive. Uh, <laughs> so there is a very famous fossil track site in Utah called the Mill Canyon uh, Fossil Trackway. And so it is an early Cretaceous trackway from around 110-ish million years ago. And e- extremely famous. It's in the general Moab area of Utah, which I talked about in our National Parks episode. Because when mm-hmm. I went to Utah... That is where I stayed. There are several national parks in that area. And uh, like a lot of the Western United States, uh, that area just in general has a lot of uh, federal land. And so most federal land is under the jurisdiction of the organization, uh, the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. I was just about to say hashtag BLM. (laughs) Yep. And so uh, this track site is included in that. Um, but most, most BLM lands you would not recognize as federally owned as if you were just driving by it. Uh, but this particular site, because it is so important, has all sorts of, uh, you know, interpretive stuff. There's like a boardwalk. So people don't walk on the tracks because that damages them. Um, there's all sorts of art and, you know, good information stuff that, uh, it has been put up there by the federal government. For, for people, because that's that's public land, anybody can go there and check out this really amazing fossil trackway that's like hundreds of feet long, one of the best trackways in the world. So this seems like a good thing, the fact that there's lots of, like, yeah. this is publicly accessible. All right, so hit me with the bad news. So um, I saw, I think I started seeing it yesterday. I don't know when it actually happened, but I started seeing things circle around on Twitter yesterday so that would be monday uh of this week that uh a bulldozer or backhoe or some kind of not giant but large construction equipment had driven over the trackways on purpose on purpose and so you hear things every now and then about you know people spray painting over things or scratching things out which like that happens as, as crappy as that is that that happens. And there's really not a great way to police that. Mm-hmm. But this was a very flagrant violation of federal law. Some, somebody here broke federal laws with like a signature 
because so what happened was um, that boardwalk needed some repairs. Because like I said, there's a boardwalk that goes through the site to make sure that people don't walk on the tracks. The boardwalk needed some repairs. And so instead of just, you know, taking a hammer or a screwdriver or drill or whatever and just removing those boards and putting in new ones, they just decided to take away the entire boardwalk using a backhoe on these tracks. Who's they? Like, who's the they in this circumstance? So I don't know the person's name. I will link somebody's Twitter account who I did some of the art that is at the, the site to like teach people about the site. Mm-hmm. So a artist that, you know, was commissioned by the federal government to depict this site who has been very outspoken on Twitter and sharing really good information. Um, they actually had a, um, so there's a field office for the BLM in Moab and uh, they had like a, I think it was a pre-scheduled thing, like a zoom thing today uh, that just so happened to be kind of taken over by this uh, because this happened so recently and very vocally, you know, people, it's still an open access site. People can still go there and people saw this backhoe just sitting on the tracks. So it's like, there's pictures and video evidence that this is to my knowledge, still currently sitting on the tracks. Just like anybody want to contact like the authorities or something, if they're breaking federal law here, like this, Oh, they did. I mean, and so, so from what I've seen, I wasn't able to go to the, the Zoom conference thing, but I have followed closely some people that were, and people were mm-hmm. like, uh, hey, what are you going to do about this? Because, you know, most federal forms are public information. And so people looked up, what the hell is this? Because to get a backhoe there, A, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You don't just end up with a backhoe there on accident. Right. You're not like, whoops, I made a wrong left. Like, some, right. Like, some, somebody got a green light for this. Yeah. Somebody yeah. got a green light for this to do this work. And like, there's literally just one we've talked about before, but there is a, there is a single federal paleontology law, just the one that is very clear. If you are doing work on federal lands where fossils are present, you need a paleontologist there. That's literally the field that I work in. That's why I'm recording this out of a hotel. That's why I'm recording this out of a hotel in the desert right now. And so that's why I'm like, this is my particular corner of paleontology because this is the field that I work in. And it's like the, the people who come to watch us get mad at us if we are not watching the machines closely enough, let alone the machine operators and the construction company, if they don't even have us there. So it's like, A, the people who greenlit this should have known that there needed to be paleontologists there. And the construction companies, maybe not the machine operator themselves, they are not always, you know, up on certain laws. And they kind of just see us as annoying things that get in their way anyway. But the people in charge, you know, the project manager for whoever, because it wasn't like it was like a, a person who works for the BLM in the backhoe. It was a construction company. The person who sent that person in that machine there knew that there needs to be paleontologists there. So there are at least two people who very clearly knowingly broke federal law. And to my knowledge, this is one of the first times in, that this has been like very publicly done where it's like, we know whose signature is on that document. You, you greenlit this and these tracks are destroyed because of you. And, and to be fair, I want to say that, uh, the, the most significant tracks 
were not destroyed and the entire track site has been 3D scanned and is digitally available, which is really good, but there's no substitute for right. having the tracks themselves. Right, like, you know, good, fine, but... Right, is so there, I... Go ahead. Is there a moral to this? Is there, like, a, is there a thing you want to leave us with or is this just, like, bad news that you needed to get out? Like, this... This just seems like there is nothing good to come out of this other than, like, follow the law and don't do this again. Um, I will try and do a follow-up at some point whenever something potentially happens. But, like, several people should be fired because of this. Several people should be fined heavily because of this. Some people might even probably should go to jail because of this. And maybe this is me being a little biased. I don't remember exactly the penalties laid out in the law itself, but certainly monetary monetary fines, as well as the people involved at the BLM need to be fired because this yeah. is completely unacceptable. At some point when, you know, when your job gets screwed up so badly, you know, at some point, you know, someone's got to pay for that. And, exactly. you know, I take no pleasure in people losing their jobs, but no, like at so, some point, you know, things have to be done. No. So as of right now, there is no really good news. I So we will link, like I said, that person who did the art, who's been very outspoken, uh, their Twitter account where they've been posting updates and stuff down below. If you want to learn more about it, check it out. Apparently, and this quite surprised me, uh, Utah's governor got involved and uh, seems to be actually quite helpful. Really? Yeah. Who is Utah's governor? Uh, I, I The name was familiar, but I don't remember who it is right now. Well, I'm going to um, look it up right now. But yeah, apparently I've read a couple statements that he has put out and he's saying the right things. <laughs> what? Ready? 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 I'm remembering his last name now. Yeah. The governor of Utah. His name is Spencer Cox. C-O-X. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, he seems to be saying and doing all the right things. So hopefully that continues. Um, although, I mean, there's there's a bit of a thing with, Spencer you know. Cox. <laughs> oh Mike. Um but yeah, there's a little that bit of like step like st- state stuff stepping on the toes of federal stuff, you know, it gets a little complicated, but yeah, it um, always does, but but yeah, this is something that needs to get solved and now because like I said, to my knowledge there's never been like a significant test of this law before where oh, it's like we very we, we very clearly know who did this. So now we just got, have to see how what happens because apparently during that Zoom thing, the BLM people that were there were very much doing politic answers where they were like, the BLM is the BLM, uh, you know, Moab field office is committed to preserving fossils, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, well, clearly you're not. Yeah, and right. it's like, well, like, and people, and pe- well, like, and people ask, they were like, what about the backhoe that is literally still there on the tracks? What are I you doing? There, there are pictures. <laughs> What are you doing about it? And where people and the BLM people were just kind of like, we're concerned. I'm like, well, I, thoughts I mean, and I prayers. Sympathy. Yeah, you I know? mean, I have sympathy for you know if there's a developing situation, people giving not answers until you know everything is given checks. But like that means you need to go like through those processes, do yeah. your thing, and then give real answers pretty damn quick. Yeah. So, uh, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully yeah. that's a situation that. That gets solved soon, and we can have a, a more positive update later on, or at least a a less negative update. And I'm sure yeah. Gavin will keep us up to date on you know, any potential happenings with that. Yes, absolutely. Um, are we anyway. are, we are reasonably deep into this episode, and we haven't actually gotten to the topic yet. So, motion <laughs> to motion to skip today in history, and to just get right into the topic. What do you say? Seconded. All right, let's do it. So, today, Med actually 
be a little bit lighter of an episode uh, just because uh, a new video game dropped on Friday and I spent most of the weekend playing it. Um, what was the video game? So it is a new Pokemon game. Yeah, uh, say no more. Okay. Well, okay, but it's a very different Pokemon game. It's basically what if Monster Hunter, but Pokemon. It's like an open world-ish Pokemon game, not re- like regular Pokemon games. If you like Monster Hunter, play it. It's really good. Understood. Um, anywho, but this episode was requested, not by a listener, but by Mike. In episode 56 about manatees, um, I mentioned that manatees have nails on their flippers. And you were like, can we do an episode about claws or something? And I was like, we sure can. And here it is. I didn't remember this at first, but now I'm thinking like, yeah, just like that, the whole idea of claws and nails and like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a kind of a real niche thing. Why, how did that happen? So yeah, I'm, uh, I am looking forward to this. I think part of what I'm thinking um, as that happened, cause you mentioned nails, like where do fingernails come from? Why is it that my, uh, my fingers and toes aren't just like skin all the way around? Cause when you think about it, it seems weird that we have nails. But I, I, I don't know if you're going to cover that at any point today, but just that whole idea of things at the end of fingers is uh, is a cool, interesting thing to me, at least. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. And so so when I talk about claws, what I'm talking about in this particular episode is claws in tetrapods. So that does not include things like crab pincers, even though people would call them claws. Um, a lot of arthropods, like insects, spiders, things... They have like little hooks at the end of their legs to hook onto things that resemble claws. Not talking about those today. We're talking strictly tetrapods. That would be vertebrates, things like you and me, that have four legs, or at least used to. Um, And so, uh, well, even some fish probably technically, just because fish are so diverse and wacky, I'm sure there is like a fish that probably has some form of claw on their fins. We're not talking about them. We're only talking things with legs here. Understood. So what is a claw? And so this is sort of the first episode I think we've done where I talk about a particular piece of anatomy instead of like a group of animals or a time period. I think you might be right about that. So when I talk about this piece of anatomy, let's let's break it down a little bit. So most people, like you, you see it in your head, you probably statistically have a cat or a dog that lives in your house. You've presumably been scratched by their claws at some point. Um, Most people are pretty familiar with that, but let's talk about the actual anatomy of that little thing that, you know, sticks into your clothing sometimes. All right, let's do it. So most people have heard the word phalanges, right? That's like fingers. Yes. So phalanges is the name of the bones in your fingers and toes, not like the bones in your palm or like the, the main part of your foot, just the bones in your fingers and toes. Cool. So that is the plural. The singular is phalanx. Not sh- it's, I'm sh- it's a Greek thing, I'm sure. Not sure why that's the singular and the plural. Not going to question it. So uh, when I say phalanx, just know I'm talking about a single bone and specifically the end bone in each of your fingers and toes is called the ungual bone so the ungual is one of the phalanges yes it is the distal most phalange uh or phalanx so even i kind of fall into it sometimes so 
I uh, forgive dist- you. Distal meaning farthest away from the body. So, for example, your hand is more distal than your forearm. Okay. So, uh, that is the only bone that can be like a, a true claw. Um, so, claws are made out of the bone on the inside and then keratin around the outside. Keratin being the protein that makes up your uh, part, most of your skin. That's why your skin is thick and why we can't breathe through our skin like frogs can. Uh, it makes up your hair uh, and makes up your nails and or claws. And so a claw, like I said, is the ungule, the last bone, sort of wrapped in that keratin layer. That's basically all a claw is. And so we get a little bit deeper into there's different layers of anatomy. There's the outside layer, uh, which is a little bit harder, still made of keratin, but called the unguous. And uh, it, that is, is weird. So the two different layers grow differently than each other. So the unguous is, grows perpendicular to growth, which is why you get hangnails uh, going off like at the same way your nail grows instead of, uh, you know, the, the opposite direction. So if you ever had a hangnail, I feel like that's a pretty universal <laughs> human experience. Yeah. Why, why it sticks out like that instead of across your finger, if that makes sense. Because that's the way the mm-hmm. ungulus grows. Right. The inner layer, which is softer, is called the subunguous. Very creative, we scientists are. Uh, and that grows the opposite direction. So it grows parallel to to the growth direction. And the bed of cells that both of these grow out of is called the nail matrix. Oh, that's a cool name. Yeah, although I was a little confused why it wasn't called the claw matrix, since the vast majority of animals that have this have claws and not nails. And like most things, it's because we named it after ourselves. Uh, because we have nails. And I'll, I'll get a little bit into what a claw versus a nail is in a little bit. Okay, I'm looking forward to that one. And so the reason why uh, claws or even your nails to a, li- to a slight extent um, are m- mostly curved is A, that's the way the bone underneath is shaped, but also uh, the unguous, the top harder layer, grows faster than the uh, under layer. So the it just naturally curls because the top is coming out faster than the bottom. Mm -hmm. So that is just in general, a claw, the, the uh, distal most bone in your finger or toe wrapped in keratin. I mean, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty much what you would think, right? It's a bone that, humans have it's just with ours it is you know wrapped in skin and not not exposed um but right. it could just as easily you know be exposed okay. so claws right. from, from a paper that i read uh claws were quote you uh ubiquitous among amniotes and what's an amniote again for anyone that you know might not remember <laughs> You like mean me. you? You mean you? Yeah. So amniotes. I do such a good job of playing the dumb guy on this podcast because <laughs> I learn a lot better from listening. As, a, as I'm doing the podcast, it's hard for me to retain some information. Yes, yeah, so, for uh, sure. So enlighten us on uh, amniotes. So amniotes are the group of uh, vertebrates that basically includes reptiles, including birds, 
and mammals. So it does not include frogs, salamanders, or fish. Things that mm-hmm. lay a an egg that can live on land, or at least used to in the case of mammals. Can lay an egg and live on land. Okay. So if you think of pretty much any amniote, they have a form of claw. Some have lost it, like uh, the one species of manatee that doesn't have claws or nails. They their, their front flippers don't have any form of nail, and they don't even have back legs anymore, so they functionally don't have any nails. To my knowledge, uh, cetaceans, which would be your dolphins and whales, don't have any nail structure on their fins. And of course, they don't have back legs either. Um, so with a couple of exceptions... Uh, even, even though both of those exceptions used to have claws, but have since lost them. Uh, but pretty much any amniote you're going to find has claws or nails of some sort. And so why, I assume there's a common ancestor involved here, or is this, um, you know, convergent evolution? Is this, you know, what's the rationale behind that? Yeah, that, you hit the nail the right on the head there. So if, okay. so if something is so widespread within a group we just kind of assume that it must be ancestral just because the odds of mammals and birds and reptiles all evolving it separately and it being so widespread among all of those groups is just really unlikely. Mm -hmm. So uh, amniotes likely have claws because they were ancestral. Their non-amniote ancestors probably had them as well. And so then you sort of get to, okay, well, what were the first things then with claws? And surprisingly, this is not something that is like super well studied from what I could find. Hmm. Because there's a, I, I compare claws to teeth a couple times in the rest of this like layout. And like, that's true in some ways, but very not true in others. Uh and the way it's not true is that teeth fossilize real well. Right. And, and claws do not. So we uh, do. So I was going to ask that question in just a second. Like, why not? Why don't. Okay. Mm, all right. Tell me. So A, keratin generally just flat out does not fossilize well. Hmm. Okay. Sometimes you can get impressions of it, like th- with, with feathers or, or skin, like scales. Um but it's the reason why if you go to any natural history museum and you see a rhino skeleton, why there's no horn with it. Okay. Even really, really hardened condensed keratin, like a rhino's horn does not fossilize. Well, it breaks down really easily, uh, which you can tell if you've ever had like split ends in your hair. <laughs> it's, it's just keratin is just not a stable compound for all that long. It's really good at, doing what we use it for. Uh, but, you know, if it just sits around and gets exposed to, you know, the sun for too long or anything like that, it just it just kind of falls apart. So it's not um, built to last. Right. That being said, you know, there's two parts to a claw. You know, the bone part is important too. Um, however, even that bone fossilizes a lot less readily than teeth for a couple of reasons. One, teeth are made out of a much harder material. Enamel is much, much harder than bone and therefore fossilize as well and with claws yeah you have five of them on each limb so you have 20 total 
Uh, that's less teeth than you even have in your mouth right now, let alone your baby teeth. <laughs> so just statistically, there are more teeth in a given body. And humans even have reduced their teeth. Like we're missing uh, at least two teeth mm -hmm. uh, compared to some other mammals, let alone reptiles. Reptiles just spit out teeth like they're nothing. Um, so... I compare them to teeth, like I said, a couple times throughout the rest of this, but they don't fossilize nearly as well. And that's, I think that's a big part of why it's not studied as well, because, you know, if we get like a skull of something that tells us a huge amount about it, doesn't really tell us anything about what their limbs were doing. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes, skulls don't tell you anything about limbs. That seems to make logical sense. Right. And it's like, even for me, like as, as a mammal paleontologists like we're basically told teeth are the gold standard you, if you get a tooth you can pretty much tell pretty much to the species if you know what you're doing from a single tooth you can get a species um claws are not nearly that diagnostic you can't get like a single claw like i had several uh in the collection that i worked on for my thesis horse ungules so like the single toe bone that they have i have no idea what horse that is there's no way to tell, really. If you have just the toe bone, you can't. I can tell it's a horse. That's about it. <laughs> um, so for a couple of reasons, they're unlike teeth, but I will make that comparison a couple of times. Um, okay. But because they're not studied as much as, say, teeth, uh, we don't know that much, at least that I was able to find, big caveat there, um, that I was able to find about their evolution and how they became so ubiquitous. Uh, amongst amniotes, like that paper said. So the best that I could find was looking at certain groups that are not amniotes, but are close. And seeing okay. whether they had claws or not. So what are some examples? So there's a group that is the closest relative of modern amphibians. So amphibians being frogs, salamanders, and I always forget the third group. There is a third group, and I always forget them. Amphi I'm looking at me no. to help you out on this one. Nope, nope. Uh... <laughs> anyway, they're they're not super important. Like there's a <laughs> there's a handful of species of them, but like you wouldn't recognize it uh, if you if you saw it. Oh, Sicilians. That's the name. They basically okay. look like worms, but they're sure. amphibians. Um, so it is the closest relative of a group of, of that group. So the group of those three is called Lysamphibia. The next closest group to them is are called the Temnospondyls, who essentially look like salamanders doing their best impression of a crocodile, more or less. Um, very, very popular around the time uh, that fish made the transition onto land. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're not super closely related to amniotes, but uh, they some of them seem to have had claws. So to and how me, can we tell that? How do uh, we know that they seem to have had claws? Just by looking at the structure of the ungules that we do have from them. Um, okay. So so for example, we know that frogs and salamanders today do not have claws, with one exception that we'll talk about later. Um, so by looking at sort of the ends of their uh, fingers and toes and comparing them to these fossil ones we can tell okay they they don't look similar 
So they clearly weren't doing similar things. And you can also tell from like muscle scarring and different things like that, different wear patterns on the bones themselves, if they're well-preserved enough, whether there was keratin on it. The same way you can tell from like a cow horn like a, or a cow skull that, yeah, there's a bone part in the middle, but you can tell just from blood vessels and things in the bone that there was a keratin horn there. Similar, similar thing. Okay. So we're, we're inferring based on, you know, outside information. Okay. Right. And so from the best we can tell, some of them had claws, but not all of them. And our closest, and by our, I'm meaning amniote, um, non-amniote relatives, which is a group called the diadectomorphs, may or may not have had claws. May or may not. Okay. It really depended. Uh, some of them, it was, well, so one was uh, based on like a trackway, so, sort of topical, um, that it was like, oh, we think that, so th- these tracks could have been made by a diadectomorph, or it could have been made by something that is an amniote. We just know that it had claws based <laughs> okay. on based on the tracks. And it's like, well, okay, that doesn't really help me in this particular situation. Yeah, right. It, it, that was not the point of the paper, you know, trying to figure out whether this thing had claws. That was not the point of the paper. Um, but that's what I was trying to use it for. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately I don't have a great answer other than the first amniote had claws. Okay. Um, and I have a little note in here that just says stupid primates, because if you just Google evolution of claws, every single thing that will come up is about primates. I'm like, that doesn't help me. (laughs) Um, because primates are very well known for having nails right instead of claws which again uh, I will I will I keep mentioning that I will circle back to that promise Um, but claws in general so that that's basically like I said all that I kind of was able to push together about the evolution of claws themselves so we don't have a whole lot of hard facts on this we can infer based on a couple of different things including the fact that they're just so ubiquitous that there's a common ancestor that exists that had claws but right. beyond that, we just don't know much. Is that about right? Right. And so my first thought, when I actually learned that Temnospondyls, the group that's related to amphibians, um, had claws, was like, oh, okay, so claws must go back that far. And then amphibians, you know, the, the modern ones, lost them. That was my first thought. After looking into it, there was no evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. So it seems like claws evolved at least twice. Oh, wow. in, in amniotes and in temnospondyls separately. So I don't know. And I don't think anybody has a solid answer for me on that. So um, <laughs> if you're out there. Yeah, absolutely. There's research to be done. There sure is. And so uh, that's kind of it for the evolution section that I wanted to cover. Um, but I'll talk about some of the function. Cause this for the rest of this is going to be basically a functional morphology lecture, which is why things are shaped the way they are to do the job that they do. Okay. And so now getting to the teeth comparison, claws are a lot like teeth in that they're really useful for suggesting behaviors. What you're doing with your claws says a lot about how you are living your life. And in general, something that makes sense after it was pointed out to me, but I didn't really, I I did not have it pointed out to me until grad school. (laughs) But so in general, the forelimbs, so it would be the arms in us, are for doing things in your environment. That would be catching your food, 
that would be manipulating things in your environment, but more than just moving around, whereas the hind legs are more or less just for moving around. You use them for other stuff, but their main function is is locomotion. Okay. And because of that, front claws, you know, because the front limbs are more adaptable, you're doing more varied things with them. There, there's a reason why, uh, you know, the hind limbs of cats and dogs generally look kind of similar, whereas their front limbs do not look very similar at all. <laughs> Um, if you're using them for more different things, you can specialize them more for what you're doing. And so also along with that, the front claws are generally more creative than the hind claws. What do you mean by creative? Basically doing more different things. So for example, of a cat, again, presumably most people know what cat claws are like. Um, so the front claws of a cat are much more retractable, you know? If, if right. they're in their hidden position, you don't even see them. Um, but where, whereas the hind claws, they're usually sticking out a bit to help with locomotion of the cat. Uh, and they're usually duller. They're much more dull than the front claws of the cat because the, the cat is using the front claws to grab on to prey. Presumably. That's typically what they're what they should be used for before we brought them into our houses. And let them sleep on our keyboards. Um, <laughs> and so that that's sort of what, what I mean by that. Where it's like the front claws are generally more specialized to do something besides walking. If that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, just a quick PSA that I want to throw in here. Do not declaw your cats, please. Yeah, that's isn't... I mean, you mentioned how you know, claws are just basically like the first... Yeah. Know, the first, or the I guess the last bone in your finger. Like... Yeah, when, wrong. It's when, just like removing part of your fingers would be the equivalent. Mm, yep. When you declaw your cat, they literally rip off the last bone in each of their toes. Mm. Oh, like I'm squirming right now just thinking about that one. Yeah, I am. It, it blows my mind that any veterinarian still does this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think mutilating your pet is a good thing to do. Hot take, I know. Um, well, cause even like a lot of vets stopped doing, uh, like snake devenomation. Like if really? you, you could, yeah, you can buy venomous snakes fairly easily depending on where you live, like surprisingly too easily. Um, and <laughs> yeah. in the past, in the past, like even up until like the early two thousands, uh, you could take it to a vet, they would sedate it and they would surgically remove its venom glands. Very rarely did that actually go well. Um, because it, it would often just mutilate the snake. Man. Um, uh, I, I, so I mean, collectively, most yeah, most vets stopped doing that because A, it's dangerous for the vet. And B, it, it's mutilating the animal. I, and I don't personally see how cat, like declawing cats is any different than that. But right. I, I'm also you know, not a vet, open, so I don't know. Yeah, leaving open the possibility for some very, very specific exceptions. Like, okay, in this very specific circumstance, if you know, the cat keeps harming itself or something, I like, I can imagine a world where like one declawing is allowed, but just speaking very broadly in general, right, yeah. for anybody that wants to play a technically correct card, like I'm imagining there's a circumstance in which you could say this is actually beneficial. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just the broad, I don't want to deal with my cat, you know, clawing at my couch or something. Right, exactly. Um, 
So now let's finally get to nail versus claw. Let's do it. So the big difference is that nails generally lack the subungueous, so the softer layer of the two, uh, and are much flatter, which you probably have noticed from looking at your own nails. Um, so technically, humans do have the subungueous. Uh, it's just very, very small. Um, it's basically just uh, like underneath the nail at about where the cuticle is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically it. So it doesn't grow out like the rest of your nail does. All that you have that you like see as your nail is the unguous instead or un- unguous. Um, so because of that, they're just generally less uh, supported, even though the, the unguous is the harder of the two. The two together is stronger than just the unguous. So. But what that does is that frees up the, you know, the pad of your finger to be able to grab stuff essentially. And that's why primates in general have nails. Nails aren't exclusively a primate thing, but we're the ones who sort of co-opted it the best, even though there are primates with claws as well. Most of them actually have been re-evolved from what I could find. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I seem to gather. What Um, what primates have claws? uh, So quite a lot, actually. Uh, There's a handful of species of monkeys that do uh, even some uh, things like lemurs and lorises, which are relatives of lemurs. Um, but they use them for grooming, not for, like, grabbing stuff. So it's, grooming it's each e- other or themselves? Probably both. Okay. Um, or the very famous species of lemur, the eye which I remember from a spooky episode of the Wild Thornberries when I was a kid. Um, oh, so it's a species- the Wild Thornberries. Can we have <laughs> yeah. an episode dedicated just to that? <laughs> What a show. I loved that show so much. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, there's uh, an episode uh, featuring an eye which is a species of lemur that is nocturnal and uh, I think has like, for like a lot of like the native cultures to uh, Madagascar, which is where all lemurs live that aren't in zoos, um, is like sort of like a bad omen to them because superficially it is a very spooky looking animal. Um because it's, <laughs> its pointer finger is, like, spaghetti thin and super long. Yeah, it's a weird look. Because what And just it's just that one. And they use it to, like, uh, dig out holes in trees and pluck out, like, grubs and stuff from inside the wood. Um, and they sort of, like, use it to tap and can hear, sort of, in the tree, the grub burrows from, like, you know seeing if it's hollow or not. And then they use that to sort of pry open the bark and then like fish them out like a little hook. So that finger has a claw on the end. Um, And like I said, there are some, uh, you know, monkeys and things that have a grooming claw, but for the most part, most primates have nails. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are, there are some others that have nails. Like I said, manatees uh, have, have nails. Elephants sort of do. I was not able to find a great, uh, source on elephant toes. I kept seeing things that called them hoofs, and I'm like, I don't think that's technically right. Uh, <laughs> Can we go back to manatees for a second? Yeah. I mean, do those serve a purpose? Do those nails serve a purpose on manatees? You know, you know, famously water animals? Yeah, uh, mostly to itch themselves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
don't know why I find that. Fun. I guess there are some things that are just universal, regardless of species. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean like, uh, so Liz, my fiance, has uh, I think she actually has footage of like a, a bison rubbing up on her car that was itchy. Um, <laughs> yeah, something or, or rubbing simple. up on somebody else's car. Yeah, all animals get itchy. Uh, <laughs> so wow, okay. Um, and then so there's a third type of claw thing which is called a spur. So a spur is like a keratin, basically a claw that doesn't grow from a finger. Say that one more time. A what? It's like a spike of keratin that doesn't actually grow from one of the fingers or toes. So right, for example, a spur. A spur, okay. So very famously, roosters have spurs. If you get attacked by a rooster, that is what it's stabbing you with. And that's what they stab each other with. Um, and then also very famously, platypuses. The males have a spur on uh, each of their hind feet that is venomous. So they grew a spur and then made it even more weird. Um, so that is... the. I couldn't find a ton of examples other than those two. There is one more that I'll kind of bring up in a little bit. Um, but those are the main two that are around today that I was able to find. Okay. So it's technically not a claw because it doesn't grow from like a bone. There's no bone in it. It's just like a, a spike made out of keratin and sometimes venom. <laughs> and venom. Okay. Um, so with that, let's look at some neat animal claws because some All of right, them, some of them are really interesting. I um, mean, famously podcasting is a great medium to be looking at things. So let's oh, do it. Okay. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> Thanks for that, Mike. So, uh, <laughs> there are... You took that harder than I thought you would. <laughs> so, uh, I'll just sort of go through this by group of animals. Sure. So, uh, like I said earlier, there is one species of clawed amphibian, and that is... Uh, a, well, I guess not species. There's one group. They're called the African clawed frogs, which I was unable to actually find if they are true claws. But If they're not true kept... claws, what would they be? Um, not like hardened enamel, not enamel, uh, keratin around some of their, uh, toes and their hind feet. Like you would think of in a normal claw, but just like thicker skin. Hmm. Okay. Cause I know Weird. spade foot, spade foot toads have that where they just have thicker keratin in their, uh, feet to dig. These ones, uh, actually use it to tear up food. They're an aquatic frog. So they'll catch something and then like sort of kick it with their feet to tear off chunks with their feet, Got which it. is a really strange strategy for a frog. But so <laughs> because they're using them in that way, that's probably why they're called clawed frogs. Um, but if you look up just clawed frogs, one that might come up, which is super cool, even though they're not technically claws is uh, I was unable to, I, I didn't write down the technical name for these frogs because their colloquial names way cooler and that they're called Wolverine frogs. Wolverine frogs. That's a yeah. thing. Yeah. This is a real thing that exists. So they will break bones in their fingers and pop out the bones through their skin and stab stuff with them. Oh my God, that's hardcore. It's super hardcore. And so frogs, amphibians in general, uh, frogs aren't as good at it as salamanders are, but they're still pretty good, are really good at regenerating and healing stuff. So frogs won't like re re regrow a whole limb like a salamander can, but they heal those bones relatively quickly. Um, <laughs> so just... Obviously, they don't want to do that, but that is something that they can do and have been documented doing, like, in the wild. Um, so, 
Neat. Not technically claws, though. So technically, Wolverine's claws uh, are not claws. Oh, Wolverine again. Not just like Wolverine. Wolverine frogs. Yeah. I'm gonna. You, you keep talking. I'm gonna go look up what this looks like. <laughs> I need to see it now. Um. You yeah, keep talking, so, Nature Boy. Sure. So those are the only two amphibian things. Uh, at least modern. Oh, <laughs> right? It's it's neat, right? It's cool. Everybody. I don't know what you're doing right now. I promise you it's not as important as this. Like pull over, stop, whatever it is. <laughs> Go look up Wolverine frogs. It's worth your time because it's yes. super cool. Um, God. And so that's pretty much it for amphibians with claw or claw-like things. So let's next let's talk about birds. So bird talons are claws, and they sort of do it backwards, where they use their front limbs for locomotion, you know, their wings for yeah, locomotion, wings. right? Uh, and their hind limbs are used for manipulating things in their environment. So they do mm-hmm. it sort of backwards compared to the rest of uh, amnios. And so things like hawks and eagles have one claw that is much bigger than the rest. Typically, that is digit two, which would be analogous to your pointer finger. Um, and they basically use that like you would think they would use a big claw for to stab stuff. Um, that's very well documented. Not so much in falcons. I don't think falcons have uh, a big claw like that, mostly because they punch their food, which is really fun. We can have a whole episode <laughs> about birds. Um, but yeah, falcons actually punch their food. Uh, <laughs> falcon, falcons are hardcore. They're just um, fighting it. Well, they dive, so they get they go up really high, and they actually hunt other birds. So they'll be flying really high, and then they'll dive really fast at another bird, and then just punch it as they're, you know, diving at like you know 150 miles. Will that hour. just like knock it out of the sky, and it'll the other? Oh, bird absolutely. Will just fall? Okay. Mm-hmm. And t- falcons typically have like a not a tooth, but a second spike besides like the main like end of their beak. That mm-hmm. they use to like bite the back of the neck of their prey after they've knocked it unconscious and actually kill it. Um, gotcha. Falcon falcons are hardcore. Um, so uh, woodpeckers also have really cool feet to hang on to trees like they do. Um, they have claws that are like really sharp and really pointy to sort of get in the bark well. They also have feet that are set up really strange. So if you think of uh, like a hawk or an eagle, they have the classic you know three toes in the front, one in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, woodpeckers take the what basically would be the ring finger and they rotate that back so it's two in the front two in the back is there a particular advantage one versus the other it just depends on what you're using your feet for if using your feet to grab fish and stuff or you know mice then the three in the front one in the back is is fine but if you're using it to hang on the side of a a wall (laughs) essentially uh you know you, you want some more support on the bottom side to be able to prop yourself up more. And the claws digging into the bark helps out with that a lot. That makes total sense. Um, ratites, which are your large flightless birds, things like ostriches, emus, uh, cassowaries, and also kiwi, kiwi birds are ratites as well. Um, they have big claws for kicking stuff. Big claws for kicking stuff. Yep. So they don't typically, I think all of them are herbivorous, actually. I think, well, kiwis eat insects, but they don't, you don't really need claws to, at least not how they get insects. They don't use their feet for that. Um, so, uh, but like ostriches are herbivorous, uh, emus and cassowaries, I believe, I'm pretty sure are herbivorous 
despite the emus being incredibly violent towards humans and winning wars. Um, and so they basically use their feet for defense, but also intraspecific uh, competition. So like males fighting each other. Uh, so they have big, sharp claws for kicking stuff and cutting stuff open like that. Cool. Birds, and then la- wars. Yeah. And then lastly for birds, I can't not talk about this because there is a single species of bird today that has claws on its wings. Really? Yes. Not for its whole life, only when it's a chick. Uh, but it is a bird called the Hoatzin, native to South America. And when it is a chick, before it grows its flight feathers, it has claws on its hands. So I'm Googling this right now. And mm-hmm. when you Google Hoatzin, the first result that comes up is Hoatzin claws. Yep, because it is very famous. There's footage of chicks like climbing around. And it's like, you, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> That's not a thing you should have. Um, oh, wow. And because of this, they're very, it's very confusing where Hoatzins fit on the bird family tree. Because it's like no other bird does this. Uh, to my knowledge, they're the only like true birds that are like bird, like the, the, the overarching group of birds that we still have today that have th- their group is the only group that has ever had claws like that and, and still be like true birds. I mean, it sounds like they might be a class of their own or something close to it. Yeah. They're in order all their own. Wow. Um, I, yeah. I, I said, cla- you know, lowercase C class. Not yeah, the, yeah. 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 But, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, that's really cool footage to look up. That's another thing you should look up after this is a Watson chick climbing around. Cause it's, it's spooky. I don't, I don't like it. It's not something that should happen in nature. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm going to talk about with uh, modern birds. So next, moving on to reptiles besides birds. Um, reptiles today seem to have pretty generalist claws. You know, I, I looked around and there's not too many reptiles that have really, really specialized claws. Um, they just tend to be spikes at the end of their fingers. You know, some might be bigger for, uh, you know, fighting each other, like Komodo dragons, even for their size, have big claws. Um, things like iguanas have big, sharp claws for, uh, like, climbing trees and stuff. Right. And it's like, their primary purpose is not defense. Like, uh, if you approach an iguana, it will whip you with its tail. It won't. <laughs> yeah, so its claws are not its primary means of defense. So that's not why they have, like, the big claws like they do. It's mostly to climb trees. Mm-hmm. Um so even like alligators and crocodiles, they don't really have super specific claws. Um, they're all pretty generalist. Um, but some neat examples that I wanted to point out were snakes sometimes have claws and or spurs. Because uh, so your pythons and your boids, which, you know, are boas and anaconda and, you know, big constricting snakes that are not pythons. Um, They have the remnants of their hind legs still. And you can see them as like little nubbins, just like little claws that poke out on either side of their cloaca. Little mini claws. Yeah. And so that's like really good evidence. I was like, you know, people noticing that was like, did these used to have legs when people were still figuring out evolution? (laughs) Um, Turtles are interesting because uh, that's the easiest way to tell a male from a female, at least for pond turtles, things like red-eared sliders and such. 
male turtles have much, much longer claws on their front limbs than females. Really? Yeah. Um, And so presumably, I don't think I found a good reason why, but if males have it and females don't, that's typically like a sexual selection thing. Might be males fighting each other for something, or maybe that helps them, you know, reproduce better somehow. Um, But that's an easy way to tell, not with every turtle species, but with a lot of pond turtles, you can tell that. Um, And then I actually have uh, a section here for one that I actually want to talk about later, because later I have a line that says fossil time. It's not yet fossil time. Oh, boy. Um, Well, I guess it sort of is fossil time, because we're talking about dinosaurs now. All right, we're doing Um, fossil time now. Yeah. So... Um, well, actually, now, since we're talking about reptiles, I'll do the one. I'll er, Early fossil time. Early fossil time. We're having pre-fossil time. Yes. So there is one <laughs> real weird group of reptiles. They're not lizards. You would see it and probably think it's a lizard, but they're not lizards. Um, so they were uh, around in the Triassic, uh, which I don't remember exactly when this particular group was from. I think the one, the one species that I'm thinking of was around 220 or so million years ago. Um, but it's a group of animals called the drapanosaurs. And they were real weird. They had one huge claw on uh, what is their, uh, effectively their pointer finger. And by mm-hmm. huge, I mean the size of their head. Oh, goodness. And granted, these were not big animals. Uh, they were, still... yeah, they're more or less, uh, a little less than a foot long or so. And just but... one claw, you said? Yeah, just the one. Uh, well, on each hand. Um, right, so yeah, one on each hand, but still, like that. Wow. Yeah, so um, depending on what species you, or I guess what genus you're you're looking up, it will vary based on what people interpret them using it for. Um, there's one genus, Drapanosaurus, uh, which is inferred to have been arboreal, so living in trees and using that to pry open bark to get at insects inside the tree. Um, Other related species also had a big claw, but are not interpreted to have been arboreal. Instead, they were using that to pry open things like anthills and things like that. So um, big claw used for digging into something. Um, But also what confused me the most when I first learned about this group is that they, for some reason, have a claw on the end of their tail. Uh, which, which I guess would I'm be... I'm we don't know what purpose that serves. Uh, it seems like their tail is prehensile, at least Drapanosaurus itself, which was arboreal. So having a prehensile tail with a little extra traction on the end that a claw could give would make sense. No I other animal of, has ever done that, though. So it's like a... <laughs> I sort of have like a, a, a backing up question. Like, you mentioned how claws and keratin don't fossilize all that well, and we're talking about dinosaurs, which notoriously are not. So this is not today. a dinosaur. This is not a dinosaur. Oh, I thought we were doing dinosaurs. No, I I backed up. We're back to the this. This is a lizard-like thing, but not a lizard. So not. Oh, quite a, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. But still, it's still a fossil nonetheless. So, um, it had. To be fair, we don't know what the keratin on the outside of this thing looked like. We just know that it had a bone spike. That has been interpreted to have been covered in keratin. I guess nature's weird sometimes. That's all you can say. Yeah. And it's like, I, I looked into it because like when I first learned about this group, I was like, that's so weird. Cause it's like chameleons, chameleons super live in trees. They're great at living in trees. They have a prehensile tail like that. They don't need a spike. 
uh, lots of geckos have, um, so geckos are famous for having like their clingy toe pads. Some of them have that same toe pad material on their tail um, mm-hmm. as well. And so uh, they don't need a spike. Why did this guy need a spike like that? <laughs> it's very strange. Um, but yeah, so moving on to fossil time. It's a paleontology podcast. We're going to talk about dinosaurs for a minute. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, When you talk about dinosaurs and claws, there are two big ones that you want to point out. And that would be the quote unquote raptors, velociraptor and such. Your dromaeosaurs is the proper name for this group. And they famously, if you've seen Jurassic Park, have the big claw that taps on the floor ominously. Um, Mm -hmm. And famously, that has been depicted as like a killing claw. They would save that and use that to go in for the the killing strike. Um, But based on pretty much everything I've seen that has been recently published, that's not really what we think they use it for anymore. Mm -hmm. Instead, and it, you know, like with all claws, it kind of depends on what exact group you're looking at. So some are thought to have used it to, um, you know, hook onto bigger things as they were biting it and trying to kill it with its mouth, which was actually good for killing things. Um, so it would basically use that as like a grappling hook. Wow. Uh, that's just cool to think about. Yeah. Um, but people have done like simulations on it to see like what stress it could take from what directions and stuff. And it's like them using it as like the, the finishing weapon, I guess the, the stress that that would put on it wouldn't, it would be very good for that. Or it would break if you tried to use it in that way. So uh, that's probably, sorry to burst your bubble, but that's very famously (laughs) what these have thought to have been used for. Although, I mean, we already kind of broke down dinosaurs (laughs) and Jurassic Park and everything. So you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Although there is one very famous example where it's like, it seems like that is what it was doing because there were two dinosaurs fossilized together. A velociraptor, a true velociraptor, in a fight with, uh, I believe, Protoceratops. So something that it was presumably hunting. And uh, there's a very famous fossil called the Fighting Dinosaurs, where the uh, Protoceratops had its mouth chomped right onto the forearm of the Velociraptor. And the Velociraptor had its big claw stuck into the neck of the uh, Protoceratops. Kind of seems like it's like, well, if you want to kill something, that's the good a good place to stab them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So th- there's a lot of other things about that specimen that's like, well, maybe they might have just fallen like that and been fossilized because it seems like they were basically buried in a big sand dune collapse. Um, so it's like they might have just moved that way after they died. Or if the Protoceratops was locked onto its forearm, the Velociraptor was probably just freaking out and trying to get away any way it could, including stabbing something in the neck. Just because mm-hmm. you did it once doesn't mean that's what it's used for. If I stab you with a pencil, that doesn't mean pencils are made for stabbing. <laughs> you know, I have a story about one of my students. For oh, I time. think you've, I think you've actually told that. Maybe not in the podcast, but you've told it to me before. I'm, I'm sure. You've uh, heard it. <laughs> uh, but the other big group of dinosaurs that is famous for their claws is a group called the Therizinosaurs. That's so funny. Ther- yeah, Therizinosaurs are a group of theropods like Velociraptor. So the group that includes T. Rex, Velociraptor, and such, typically meat-eating uh, dinosaurs. And the largest of these, which is called Therizinosaurus, 
had the largest claws that we know of. So this brings me back to that question I asked before, though. So we're talking about dinosaurs, and we're talking mm -hmm. about claws, which you said don't fossilize right. all that well. So how are we, how are we determining this? Uh, again, that's why I said that we know of. Okay, but how do we determine, like, just even with the claws that we are aware of? So like because how, we've, how do we because we've, we've found the ungules and a basically nearly complete hand, or almost, almost a full arm of a Therizinosaurus. And, mm -hmm. ooh boy. Just because... Ooh, boy, the, the ungual bone is yeah. so enormous. That's like, even without being considering it being covered in keratin, it is comfortably the biggest claw. Got Okay. So just based on what we do have, the bones that are aware, like it strongly suggests a claw. Right. And so, okay. Um, so this animal was a, a pretty big dinosaur, not like giant, but it was around 30 feet long, around three tons or so. Um, and on each hand, it had three giant claws and j just the ungual bone, the last bone in the finger. Each of them was around a foot and a half long. That single bone, foot and a half, foot and a half let alone half. how long the keratin cover on that might be. Like I said, we don't know. So it might've, it was likely longer than that. Do we know what that was used for? Like, is that, is that a hunting claw? No. So they are slightly hooked at the end. They're fairly straight and then uh, sort of almost almost like a barb at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and so like with the Velociraptor claws, people have done all sorts of like simulations on this to see what kind of stresses it could take and stuff. And this was absolutely not a hunting claw. Uh, any kind of like slashing motion would probably break it. And wow. also just looking at... Actually, I don't even know for sure if we have teeth of this thing, but it's pretty much presumed to be uh, an, an herbivore. There are lots of theropods that went back to eating plants. Um, but it's basically thought that they use this to sit in one spot and pull leaves and branches and things toward their face. Just okay. extra, instead of making your arms longer. Just... I just made big claws. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one way to do it. Yeah. And so... Obviously, I, I think they did some, like, sort of stabbing motion simulations for, like, the force on it as well. And it was, like, they were pretty good for that, actually. Not so much, like, mm -hmm. the slashing, but stabbing would be pretty good. Um, right. Plus, big claws on a big animal just makes it look bigger. And this was this was a feathered animal, so they had lots of feathers and things, too. So it was probably also used for intimidation. Um, and with something this kind of big and crazy, there's also been uh, the idea of, like, sexual selection thrown around uh it's really hard to tell uh, to my knowledge we don't have that many good therizinosaurus uh specimens so it could be just that all the ones with the big claws that we have are males that like the turtles have big claws for a reason that helps them reproduce maybe the ladies like big claws on on their dudes i don't know um <laughs> and so that could be a thing but again, there's not really any evidence to suggest that yet because our sample size is so small. Um, and then a quick honorable mention, uh, there's one species that was featured in the most recent Jurassic World movie called Baryonyx. Its name literally means heavy claw. Uh, it has a pretty big claw that would, it was mostly uh, in uh, piscivorous, so eating fish. So <laughs> it had a really long snout and it would basically catch fish with its teeth and then use this big claw to like hook into them so it could like reposition them to eat them how it wanted, more or less. Mm -hmm. So, 
that is all the reptiles. Let's move on to mammals. Like with teeth. Mammals really took the claws thing and kind of ran with it. Because like I said, at least modern reptiles have pretty conservative claws. They don't really change much. Mammals are not like that. The mammals that do have claws, that is. Right. Um, But even then, there are no reptiles with like nails. So yeah, okay. even even our nails are fairly specialized. We don't consider them to be, but they but they are because we do a lot of things with our hands, and having big honking sharp claws in the way would would get in the way of that. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, let's, let's let's do mammals. You said cats first. Yeah. So cats are really cool in that. So you, cats very famously have retractable claws. Um. Which, so the, the resting position with them sort of hidden away is the retracted position when they have them out to grab stuff that is called protracting. And so mm-hmm. when they're sitting there in like the sheathed position, the ungual is folded. So like your, you know, ungual to your second uh, phalanx connection bends toward your hand. Their, their resting position has it fold the other way. So the claw is like sitting next to the second bone in the finger. It like slots in, which is really cool. Wow. So it has like a really extremely flexible hinge. Um, and it's, it's uh, I, I'll link a Twitter gif animation that I happened to find about how cat claws work and a little bit of like the skeletal stuff. So if you want to look that up. It's super neat. Cat claws are super cool. Um, And then dogs, just, you know, comparing cats versus dogs. Dogs are fairly standard. Dogs hunt a very different way than uh, cats do. Cats are very big grapplers. Um, They'll run up on something and grab it with their arms and, like, wrestle it. Whereas dogs, they sort of just bite and hold on. If you've ever played with a dog, that's what they do when they're hunting, too. Um, So they don't really use... They don't use their arms really to, to hunt like cats do. So their claws are basically just for traction. Um, this is for dogs just for just so they can like walk better? Yeah, more or less. Okay. Um, bears. Uh, so I looked up bear claws and got nothing but pastries. I, I was going to say, I thought I, I was blanking on exactly what it was, but I've definitely heard of bear claws before. Yep. So I just searched bear claw, not even thinking of it. Cause I was just doing all the looking up stuff for this episode and it was just pastries. And I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> there's that. Um, whoops. So, so bears have claws that are basically just giant hooks. Unlike, uh, dogs, you know, bears don't really run. Not really. Like they can obviously, but that's not really what they're specialized for. Right. And unlike cats, uh, bears don't walk on their toes. Like cats do bears walk on like their palms very much like humans do. Uh, so they don't need to retract their claws like a cat does to keep them sharp. Because if you're walking on your palms, your claws just kind of stay a bit above the ground anyway. Right, they're still, gonna, they're still good to go. Right. And so uh, they basically use them like hooks, especially like polar bears. Polar bear claws are maybe not as like big as grizzly bear claws. Grizzly bear claws are proportionally much bigger but like polar bear claws are literally look like hooks because they basically need to not ever fail a kill (laughs) (laughs) where where they live it's like well if that seal slips back down its hole 
that's going to starve. That might be the only food I see for the next couple of days. Um, so they have these just big meat hooks that they grab stuff with. Whereas polar bears or, uh, or uh, grizzly bears have much straighter and proportionally bigger claws. Uh, moles surprisingly have really weird claws. Which I guess not surprisingly because they use them to dig. That's kind of the whole thing of being a mole. <laughs> yeah, that's they're, one of their favorite things. Yeah, so they're basically just these really long, uh, almost look like pencils. Well, I was, I was going to say spike, but like they don't really taper. It's basically just like a straight thing that comes to like a kind of a rounded point. Almost like mm-hmm. if your fingernails just extended off your hand, but came still to that rounded point. That's kind of what okay. mo- what mole claws sort of look like. That seems extra weird, especially because like you know, they're using them. They should be like eroding them down. You would think that that would lead to a. You would think so. Point. You would think so. Yeah, but they don't come to as much of a point as you might think. Huh. Um, and then the weirdest thing that I was like, oh yeah, I guess that counts. Uh, were hooves. That counts as a claw. I yeah. It's bone on the inside and then keratin. Huh. Uh, especially, I guess that fits the definition. Yeah, right? Where it's like, oh, of course. But it's like, I just kind of didn't think about it because you don't think of horses having claws. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> so um, basically the definition that I was able to find of like a hoof was a nail big enough to bear weight. Um, and they everything that I kept seeing kept specifying a nail. And I think that might just because be because... Like I said, calling a horse's hoof a claw is strange. So that's more out of convenience than like scientific accuracy. That right. vernacular. Okay. Right. So it's like, like I said, from what I from what I could find about nails is nail does not have a subungueus. But everything I was able to find about horse hooves is that they still do. So it's like technically, I don't think that's a nail. But the terminology is not clear. <laughs> um. So. Horse hooves seem like they're more like nails than uh, artiodactyl hooves, things like deer or cows or bison. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are much more like claws. If you've ever seen like a deer or a cow hoof, they are curved. They obviously don't use them the same way um, as like a you know a cat or a dog might. Uh, I guess actually, yeah, they do use them kind of like a dog. They just use them for extra traction. <laughs> um, and then the last group that I'm going to talk about uh, as sort of a transition to fossil time for mammals, um, is xenarthrins. So xenarthrins are the group that includes sloths, anteaters, and armadillos. Pretty much every xenarthrin has really prominent claws, even though even all the fossil ones that I was able to find, because sloths have these really big uh, claws that they used to hang on to the trees with, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, armadillos and anteaters have these big honking claws that they used to dig into anthills and things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, got, got to get to those ants somehow. Right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, even the fossil ones, um, but especially the fossil ground sloths, which could be up to like elephant sized. Uh, those weren't really eating ants. If you're getting that big as a mammal on, on land anyway, whales eat real small stuff, but Uh, To get Mm -hmm. that big as a land mammal, you're not eating ants. So uh, (laughs) these guys probably did a really similar thing to those uh, 
there isn't a source where they would just sort of plop themselves somewhere and just long arms would reach and grab food and bring it to their face. And then they'd eat all the food that they could reach and then go plop themselves somewhere else. Um, however, these claws uh, also were pretty good for defense. Uh, they're <laughs> much shorter than the Therizinosaurus uh, claws. And I think hold up pretty well to stress tests for things like slashing. Uh, so very right. clearly were used for defense as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, a fossil group that is fairly obscure Um but I want to talk about it anyway because I love them. So this is a group called the Calicotheers. Calicotheers. Yes. Who uh, my grad school advisor, Darren, lovingly referred to as gorilla horse bears. <laughs> because looking at this animal, you would not be able to tell what that is. I mean, is that just me or like a regular no. person too? No, just a, a regular person as well. Uh, because their closest relatives are horses. And if you were to just look at their head, you'd be like, yeah, I could see it. But looking at their body, so they took their hooves. So they, they still had multiple toes, unlike horses today. Um, but they took their hooves and then turned them back into claws. And so they had clawed hind feet, really long arms with clawed front feet, but walked on their knuckles like a gorilla to keep the claws sharp. <laughs> so they have the posture of a gorilla short uh hind legs long front legs and walked on their knuckles <laughs> and I, that's hard to me even i mean i guess i can imagine it but so it's so just... weird but it's like you, you, a horse <laughs> 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 like it's they're very strange um but some similar thing to those uh sloths and therizinosaurs they would probably just plop themselves and grab some food and plop themselves somewhere else and grab some food over there. And that's just a good general body shape to have if you're a browser, I guess. Which is weird, because we don't currently really have anything that shape today. Gorillas are the closest thing. I was uh, going to say, there's nothing that immediately comes to mind that kind of fills that niche. Yeah, pretty much just gorillas. Um, and even then, they're pretty localized to a couple places in the right. world. Um but yeah, that's a body plan that is like consistently kind of shown up over and over again with pretty beefy claws to back it up. Um, so that pretty much brings us to a close here. I wish that I was able to bring more into the evolution side of this, but there was surprisingly little. Uh, I mean, you brought in wolverine frogs, and I think that was—I <laughs> mean, that was an—that was good enough for me. Just that right there. No, but this was this is really interesting, especially just kind of the difference between a nail versus a claw and then thinking of hooves as, you know, really just being differently shaped claws uh, at the end of the day. It's uh, this was, this was a cool episode to have and just be able to think about. Yeah. One that hopefully wasn't too technical, you know? Um, Yeah. This was, this was very well done. Why? Thank you. So this has been episode 60 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike and that is Gavin, and we will see you all next week. Take care, everybody. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Finella Campanino. It was sound edited by Mike Bryson and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.